You're listening to the Weekly Buzz, brought to you by electricianslibrary.com, where we're building the world's largest online resource for the electrical trades, including videos, blog posts, data sheets, and more. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all of the major social media outlets. Make sure to visit electricianslibrary.com, and now, let's get on with the show. What's up, Buzz Nation, and welcome to episode 15 of the Weekly Buzz. And, uh, you know, I'm trying a new, trying a new uh, setup here, new recording setup, so hopefully the sound quality is a little better, and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully you're happy with it, and hopefully I'm happy with it, and uh, just keep, uh, keep things going here. So I want to start out the show kind of like I did last week, and uh, give, uh, give a couple of Instagram shout-outs from uh, some followers out there but some people that i've been following as well uh the first one is uh, at electrical hacks and i'm sure a lot of you out there are already following these guys but if you're not following them they've been posting a lot of good stuff on there about uh you know just screwed up things in the electrical industry uh or, or on the jobs i guess you'd say that they're coming across and uh not only the big screw-ups which there are tons of screw-ups that they're posting on there and a lot of them are pretty funny but uh one that they did post on there was actually really cool and uh, i'm staring at it right now but uh it's actually a uh transformer pad mount transformer that looks like an outhouse and uh, i don't know where it doesn't say exactly where this uh this uh transformer is but uh it it does look pretty cool and uh i would i'd recommend uh, if you're not following at electrical hacks on instagram uh to go ahead and check them out the second shout out that uh that i want to give is to ida and uh, i'm not exactly sure where she is but she's doing her uh electrical apprenticeship and she's definitely not in the us um but uh Wherever she is, it's awfully cold there. There's a lot of snow on the ground. It reminds me of what we should be looking like right now in Utah, but we're pretty uh, we're pretty low on the snow right now. We're we're pretty dry. It's pretty warm here. We're usually in the uh, in the negatives where I'm at in Utah, and uh, we haven't even dropped down to zero yet. So, anyways, wherever you are, Ida, good luck. It looks pretty cold, and uh, just keep it up. I hope you hope you uh, do well with your apprenticeship and uh, become an electrician that you want to become. So thanks for the follows, guys. Really appreciate that. And uh, hope to keep putting up some, some good pictures, good content, and uh, keep following you guys. Keep uh, checking out your cool pictures that you're throwing up there on the Instagram as well. So anyways, uh, as we get this ball rolling here, I came across a very interesting article that uh, was written back in November and this this article comes from the University of East Anglia. It's somewhere over in the UK. So anybody listening over there in the UK, I apologize that I can't uh, I can't pronounce this, but it's A N G L I A. So it's the U E A University of East Anglia. That's just my best guess, guys. So, um, anyways, the uh, 
The title of this is Clean Energy Biobatteries. And I'm just going to go ahead and read some of this to you because I thought it was really interesting, the, the uh, concept that these guys are going after here with trying to get some, some clean, you know, renewable uh, electricity out there for us. And uh, what it says, it says researchers from the university, the UEA, are a step closer to en- enhancing the generation of clean energy. And here's the kicker, from bacteria. Uh, a report published today shows how electrons hop across otherwise electrically insulating areas of bacterial proteins and that the rate of electrical transfer is dependent on the orientation and proximity of electrically conductive stepping stones. So it's interesting here that they're talking about uh, producing clean energy from bacteria. It's hoped that this natural process can be used to improve biobatteries which could produce energy for portable technologies such as mobile phones, tablets, laptops, and, uh, well, be powered by human or animal waste. So these guys are, these guys are definitely thinking outside of the box if, if uh, that's what you, what you want to call it. Um, it continues to say many microorganisms can, unlike humans, survive without oxygen. So some bacteria survive by breathing rocks basically, especially minerals of iron. They derive their energy from the combustion of fuel molecules that have been taken into the cell's interior. And then a side product of this reaction is a flow of electricity that can be directed across the bacterial outer membrane and delivered to rocks in the natural environment or graphite electrodes and fuel cells. So this means that the bacteria can release an electrical charge from inside of the cell into the mineral um, much like the neutral wire in a household plug, which, uh, you know, this is crazy that these guys are, you know, figuring this stuff out. But the, uh, the research team looked, looked at proteins called multi-hem cytochromes. And, uh, you know, these can, these are contained in the rock breathing bacteria, such as a species of Schoenella. Now I obviously not a scientist. I can't pronounce all these names, but you know, these, uh, these are pretty interesting uh, things that these guys are finding. And the lead researcher, um, Professor Julia Butt from UEA's School of Chemistry and the School of Biological Sciences said that these bacteria can generate electricity in the right environment. So we wanted to know more about how the bacterial cell transfer, you know, transfer electrical charge and particularly how they move electrons from inside to the outside of a cell over distances of up to 10 tens of nanometers. Uh, proteins conduct electricity by positioning metal centers known as hames to act in a similar way to stepping stones by allowing electrons to hop through an otherwise electrically insulating structure. This research shows that these centers should be considered as disks that the electrons hop across. The relative orientation of neighboring centers, in addition to their proximity, affects the rates that electrons move through the proteins. This is an exciting advance in our understanding of how some bacterial species move electrons from inside to outside of a cell and helps us understand their behavior as robust electron transfer modules. We hope that understanding how this process works will inspire the design of bespoke proteins which will underpin microbial fuel cells for sustainable energy production. So I just wanted to bring this to your guys' attention. It's, you know, obviously this is meant for, 
you know, smaller applications such as cell phones and tablets and such. But you never know what this uh, what this kind of research could bring to pass in the future. You know, it's uh, it's an interesting thing the way the world is going and the technologies that are that are being discovered. And so, just uh, just something to keep your eyes on, uh, especially you guys over there in the UK that are that are uh, kind of in the midst of this stuff. Um, watch for these technologies and, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of the stuff of the future, I guess. And so if you, if you see any of this taking place or if you know anything more about it, let's, uh, let's talk about it. Let's see what, uh, what, uh, you have to say about it. So today's episode, I kind of wanted to, uh, wanted to focus a little bit on, uh, square D and, uh, and the history of square D. I'm sure many of you out there are very familiar with this brand. It's one of the top, uh, top manufacturers out there which actually they're they're currently owned by Schneider Electric but uh, they do have an interesting history and what kind of um, prompted me I guess to pursue this uh, this history and I'll probably I'll probably end up covering you know the history of a lot of different manufacturers like you know Kraus Heinz and Appleton and um, you know, Cutler Hammer, you know, Westinghouse, Siemens, you know, I think it'd be interesting to delve into the history of all these companies because they have all grown themselves from small little companies to these, you know, behemoths that are world international, world known companies that are providing gear, you know, and, and uh, fittings, you know, everywhere. But uh, what kind of prompted me with Square D was I was at a, as a, at a training a couple of years ago. And, uh, it entered, they talked about how Square D, you know, got its name. And, uh, I actually, a colleague of mine today just asked, as I was kind of, kind of talking about this, how did Square D get its name? And so I think it's, I think it's pretty fun to learn about these companies. And so I wanted to share with you guys, um, kind of the history of Square D and, and this comes, you know, straight from their side. It's, it's nothing secret proprietary or anything like that, but it's uh, it's direct from their site, and they kind of they've kind of timelined it. So I'd just like to share it to you for you guys that uh, don't have the opportunity to to uh, you know get on and read this stuff very often, or not sure where to find it. So I'll uh, I'll uh, give it to you right now. But Square D was actually um, originally called the Detroit Fuse and Manufacturing. Okay, they were a North American supplier of electrical distribution and industrial control equipment. And they were founded in 1902. They began operations in 1902, and they started with enclosed fuses and fuse switches. And what had ended up happening was um, in 1902, you know, Bryson D. Horton, he was an electrical engineer. And uh, he, he established the McBride Manufacturing Company, which, and he, he led that until 1928. Um, and then in 1917... The McBride Manufacturing uh, became Detroit Fuse and Manufacturing. So their logo was uh, was a D, which stood for Detroit, and they put it in a square. Now, in this training that I went to, they explained, you know, they told us, they were telling us kind of this history as well. And whenever anybody would want to come and buy... Um, the fuses or the the safety switches, 
they would say, we want the one that has the square and the D. And so finally, Detroit Fuse and Manufacturing decided to, uh, you know, take advantage of the recognition that this, this trademark had, that this um, capital D inside of a square, and they decided to change their name to Square D. And uh, at the time, you know, right around the time they changed their name, um, they their their sales were totaling. This was in 1919. Their sales were totaling about a million bucks. So they'd grown to be a pretty substantial company by that time in 1919. Um, and then, so as they progressed and they and they uh, they grew their company and wanted to expand more into more of the distribution side of things. In 1926, they they were able to build their first power distribution panel board. So the Square D panel board has been around since uh, since 1926. Um, then in 1929, Square D decided uh, to move into some industrial control, and this was following a merger that they had with uh, a Milwaukee-based uh, controller company, and they began to produce uh, circuit breakers, but they their circuit breakers were originally produced under a license from Westinghouse. So the old Square D breakers were actually Westinghouse breakers, but they they knew that they didn't want this to continue this way. So in 1935, um, Square D actually launched its own range of circuit breakers, and these were um, actually some of the first circuit breakers that were available for residential use. And then in 19, uh, 1936, uh, they had built their company up enough that they, uh, est- they were able to establish uh, a federal credit union, actually. And it's, uh, it's employee-owned and managed and provides a lot of different banking services for Square D employees. So, so by 1936, they'd, they'd grown to be a very, uh, you know, a very well-established company to, uh, to be able to have their own credit union. And then, in 1948, they uh, they were up to 7,000 employees. So in 46 short years, I guess you could say short years. Um, I mean that's somebody's lifetime, working working lifetime. But in 46 years, they'd grown from that small small fuse manufacturing company to you know a distribution company that had 7,000 employees. And they had 10 plants, 10 manufacturing plants in North America and 43 different regional offices um, that, uh, that were across the U.S. And then it also, by 1948, was, was producing you know, half of the circuit breakers that were used in aviation. So in, through all this progress, you know, they were innovating and, and bringing about new things. And then in 1951... They uh, they were able to bring forward the first plug-in type circuit breaker uh, panel board, and this was a you know this was a new new invention for the uh, for the industry. And then in 1955, they they were able to expand to 72 sales offices, you know, new production units, several you know they had several hundred dis- distributors and. And operations in Europe, you know, Germany, London, France, Italy, and 
they also introduced around that time the QO circuit breaker. So this was this was around 1955 when the QO circuit breaker came out, and they started producing a lot of solid state relays as well. Um, in 1957, they uh, opened some new plants in Lexington, Kentucky, and Atlanta, Georgia, and these were uh, these were to manufacture load dispatching centers and safety switches. And then in 1964, they were they had expanded even more, and they were up to 10,000 employees and 22 plants. And so Square D, I mean Square D was. It, and still is obviously um, just a just a monster in the in the uh, production of these of these products, and this just shows you kind of uh, you know kind of what they've done through the years and how how they've uh, <clears throat> how they have increased market share and how they've come to be what they are today. Um, so sixty four, they had ten thousand employees, and then the eyeline panel boards. Um, if any of you have ever used any of the eyeline, they're, they're the big boys, the really super heavy duty, uh, panel boards. Those were introduced around 1966 to 1967. And then the, uh, the, uh, type S motor starters were also about that time. Now, what's interesting to me now is if you've ever seen a QO circuit breaker, and I kind of cover this in one of my little, uh, in one of my little videos on electricianslibrary.com, they uh, they differentiate the QO breaker. One of the differentiating differentiating factors is the visitrip window, and what that is is it's a uh, if you look on the front of the breaker uh, when, when you buy them brand new, they come tripped already, and so they've got that little window on them that's orange, and so you can quickly identify when you go to the load center or the NQ panel board, you can quickly identify which breaker is, is tripped because when it trips, it's got that uh, little orange window. Well, that visit trip window um, on that QO was also introduced in that 1966 to 1967 time period, along with the uh, line panel boards and the type S motor starters. So that style of breaker has been around for a long time. Um, you know, just just shows that they were ahead of their time and they created products that that are going to, you know, stand the test of time. And uh, so very, very interesting, uh, very interesting fact right there. <clears throat> so then in uh, in 72, 1972, you know, there were subsidiaries in South Africa and Ireland and uh, they they build and they had grown an international network which included over 400 distributors in 75 countries. You know, they had three plants outside of the U.S. that also had 3,000 employees. You know, and then in 77, they opened in Singapore, Bangkok, Manila, and they, uh, they had grown sales. So remember, in 1919, their sales were $1 million. And in 1977, their sales exceeded $500 million. And that was double from their 1971 figures. So in six years, they'd gone from $250 million in sales to $500 million in sales and, uh, just phenomenal growth during that time period. Um, which gave them the opportunity in 1978 to introduce 
uh, the Cymax PLC and, you know, Watchdog Energy Management System. Um, then in 1981, 81 through 86, right in that time period, you know, Square D launched a vast, you know, a vast acquisition program that was to focus on, you know, the electronics side of things. And they, uh, they acquired companies such as General Semiconductor, Ercon, Engineered Systems, Topaz, Lumicell, and, uh, you know, Ramsey Controls. This, this brought a lot uh, of expertise in data acquisition, robotics, uh, UPS systems, and semiconductors, uh, variable speed drives. You know, this was, this was just another, another great uh, area for them to expand their business. Um, so this was 81 to 86 and then, uh, you know, in 87, they started implementing some other, you know, other business unit structures and then, you know, they, you know, started establishing some other, uh, you know, community service funds and, you know, employee, diff you know, uh, employee awards and stuff like that. And then, uh, in 1991, they uh square d had built up their their uh their force to over 18,000 employees so 18,000 employees in 1991 they had operations in 23 countries and remember their sales numbers in 1977 were 500 million well in 1991 which obviously this is this has been a while ago but they were sitting at about $1.65 billion in 1991. And this was when, uh, this was when, um, Schneider electric acquired, uh, square D was in 1991. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. A lot of people think that the acquisition of uh, square D by Schneider is a fairly new thing, but, uh, no, it's, uh, sheesh. What is that? 30, 20 years, 20 years, 24 years. And, uh, and so they've actually been owned by Schneider for, for quite a while. And I know that, uh, just from things that I've heard at some of these trainings, you know, Schneider was trying to, um, make a little bit of a play at maybe phasing out the square D name. And there's been a lot of, a lot of kickback and resistance to that. And so recently we've heard that, uh, that they've scrapped the idea of getting rid of the square D name and they're, you know, going to go full force again with the, with the square D name and keep that going because that's what everybody knows. That's what you guys all know is that it's square D and that's the, that's the quality, quality brand you got there. So anyways, I just thought that these were, you know, pretty interesting, uh, pretty interesting details about the square D company and, Wanted to shed a little light with you. So the next time you're throwing in a, a QO or a home line load center, if you're putting in an NQ, NF, or an I-line panel board, anything like that, that kind of gives you a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of an idea of where, where this company has come from, where it started, the progress that it's made over the years. And, uh, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of appreciation knowing that back in 1902, they were just, you know, Detroit fuse and manufacturing company. They're just making fuses and, and, uh, fuse switches. And they've come all this way to become part of the Schneider family 
of, uh, of companies and, you know, doing billions of dollars of, of business a year. And it kind of, kind of gives, uh, I don't know, if you look at stories like that, it kind of gives you a little bit of, I guess, hope, maybe motivation that, uh, if you wanted to, you know, build a company to something that you thought was a little, uh, little beyond what you could do that you could actually do it. Um, and it's, it's good to see, it's good to see stories like this and, and know that there are, there are ways of doing this. So anyways, I, uh, I just want to uh, tell you, thanks so much for, for tuning in this week to the weekly buzz. I appreciate it. It's always good to be on here and try to try to share a few things. Um, if there's anything you guys ever want me to talk about or, or have any stories you'd like me to share, uh, just get a hold of me and let me know. I'm more than, uh, more than happy to take suggestions as, as uh, this show is for you guys out there. And, uh, you know, I just want to be, uh, want to be informational and entertaining as I can for you guys. And, uh, you know, looking forward to hopefully getting a few interviews going pretty soon for, uh, for some people out in the trades. I know I've talked to, uh, talked to a couple of interesting people that have, that have, uh, agreed to, agreed to, uh, do some interviews. So I just got to get those set up, but watch for those. And, uh, like I say, Hook up with me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Love to interact with you guys and uh, see what you have to say. Let me know. Uh, let me know what I can do to help you out out there. And uh, yeah, so just stay safe. Um, make sure that uh, make sure you're uh, following all the safety rules, wearing your PPE, all that good stuff, because uh, everybody wants you coming home at night. So thanks again for uh, for listening, and we'll catch you uh, next week with episode 16. But until then, stay grounded.